Hello and welcome to the Real Health Talk podcast. I'm Zach Gould. And I'm Jordan Davey. Together we're here to go deep into holistic health and make it relatable for your everyday life. We're breaking down complex topics into clear, actionable advice, covering nutrition, movement, mindset, and lifestyle. Join us for engaging episodes where we transform holistic health from a concept into a daily practice. Whether you're just starting out or you're a health nerd like us, this podcast is here to help you on your journey. So let's dive in, go deep, and understand what the true pillars of health are and how you can use them to live your best life. It's Real Health, Real Talk with Zach and Jordan. Yes, yes, legends, and welcome back to the Real Health Talk podcast. You're here with your host, Zach, and my good friend, Jordan Davey, the co-host of the show. How are you, my man? I'm very good, my man. So, How are you going? Oh, mate, I'm, uh, I'm cruising today. We're back for guest number two, episode number seven. <sighs> I'm excited. It's been going fast. Very, very fast. Good feedback as well, which we mm. love. And it's nice seeing, seeing us together in the yeah, camera. Yeah, yeah. So we're actually looking at ourselves today and we're looking at the one and only Faye Sheridan, our second guest of the podcast and the first female guest. We are super stoked to have you on the show. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, thank you. Pumped for this conversation and what a privilege to be the first female. Oh, we're so, so excited. So for those that don't know Faye, she is the owner of Healthy Her, Total Movement and a facilitator and educator in the Institute of Health and a true leader in all things women's health. Guru for women's health. The absolute goat. (laughs) And the cycle. And the cycle. And we're super excited today because, uh, you know, as two men hosting a podcast, we really want to talk about the cycle because we really think that for the female listeners out there, they're going to learn so much. But I want to continue to learn more in this space mm. because I think it's very important for men to tap into this space. Definitely. And, um, yeah, I think Faye is going to be perfect to be able to take us through that. So for all our male listeners, don't be disheartened. This is going to serve you at some point in life. Um, and it's really, I think it's really empowering yeah. in, in your relationship and understanding your partner and understanding the ebbs and flows that, that naturally occur and, and really how to help them um, mm. adjust to it best. For sure. And live with it best. For sure. So I guess, Faye, to kick things off, why should women care about their cycle? So I think when women think about the menstrual cycle, and even men to some degree, mm. they think fertility and reproductive health, and that's usually as far as it goes. But mm. our menstrual cycle and our sex hormones, and without our menstrual cycle, we wouldn't have the abundance of sex hormones, they play so much more of a role within the body. And when we shut down these hormones, if it's via some sort of birth control, or we don't have a cycle for whatever health underlying health reason, we're going to run into other implications. So it's not just fertility, it's not just reproductive health, But these sex hormones play a huge role in things like thyroid health, gut health, Mm -hmm. um, building lean muscle mass, muscle contraction, um, cognitive function. There's so many things that these hormones do. They're neuroprotective. They, um, you know, decrease inflammation. And so understanding how sex hormones work and the importance of them further than fertility and reproduction um, 
is really important. I think a lot of women mm. don't understand the the importance of these hormones. Definitely. And what do you think personally that the average woman even thinks of when they just hear the term cycle? I think for many years there's been a lot of shame around the menstrual cycle. And, you know, mm. if I look back when I got my first period, it was very much like, oh, you got your period here. Here's a, here's a pad or a tampon. Off you go, like, you know, fend for yourself basically i remember Mm. like too much information but i'm going to be going too much information today but i literally (laughs) remember like getting a tampon packet because i was a swimmer and so pads were not an option and i was Mm. a competitive swimmer and so i remember reading the tampon thing just going like how do i put this thing in like i'm just gonna take a step in the dark so um yeah, it's like it's very. It's there's a lot of shame around it. It's very to. It was very taboo to talk about. However, there's been a massive change of recent. Yeah, and um, yeah, I just think the more that we understand the importance of having a healthy menstrual cycle, um, the more that women can start to live like in harmony with their hormones, rather than seeing it as a a um, a burden. I think mm-hmm. a lot of women have seen the menstrual cycle as a burden. I know I did when I was a teenager, but I didn't know the importance of these hormones. Mm. So in your opinion, you said there's a shift, but I guess what can we continue to do to create a more positive shift? Does it start from parents talking mm. and having those conversations from a younger age? Is it, you know, in schools them talking about that in a a bit more of a holistic, healthy way? Or like, what do you think we need to continue to do to make that shift and have those conversations? I would love to be able to say that it would start at school and it needs to start Mm. at school. But I feel like as a parent myself, we can't rely on schools. And so this education needs to start in our, in our homes. And the more that women these days, whether they are, you know, early twenties, 30s, 40s, whatever, if they start to get educated now so that they can then Mm. educate their daughters, you know, nieces, whatever, um, I think we have to take responsibility. We can't put that pressure or that, like that, we can't rely on other people to educate our our kids, basically, (laughs) is what I'm trying to say. I'd I'd love to get into schools and I would love to teach more younger women but I think it needs to start in the house, mm. in the home. Yeah. And do you think it comes down to becoming educated within yourself first before you can teach others? So, yeah, you definitely. know, if you have good control of, of your own cycle, you know, mm. being a female, being a mum, and you have had really good awareness on what a healthy cycle looks like, you know, you're able to then, you know, teach others around you. Yeah. It definitely starts with you understanding your cycle first and foremost. I Mm. think where parents freak out is that they think, I don't want my daughter to get pregnant. (laughs) That's Mm. like, if I, if I look back, like that was my, that was what my fear was, was getting pregnant and thinking that I could fall pregnant 365 days of the year. Yeah. And And that's what the majority of people think. Mm, like, yeah. I feel like the majority of the guys still think now that a female can get pregnant at any stage of their cycle. <laughs> yeah. There's just no knowledge around it at all. Yeah. Yeah. We'll better be careful yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <for sure. laughs> it's so true. It's so true. So 
there's that fear and like I'm a parent, so I get it. Like, mm-hmm. but obviously I have the tools to be able to teach, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. a big advocate of fertility awareness method, which is a natural way of trying to avoid conceiving um, and falling yep. pregnant. And um, I think, yeah, there's that fear of, oh my God, what about if my daughter falls pregnant? But I think if we educate them and we, you know, and it goes so much further when you're, you're young, younger, it's not just about having protected sex or being on the pill to avoid pregnancy, but the pill doesn't stop us from getting things like STIs, STDs. And so, you know, you need, still need to have a barrier method if you're, you know, sexually active with, you know, potentially, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking back as when I was a teenager, like <laughs> I wasn't in a relationship all the time, you know, like it could, mm. yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. We're too, yeah. too far into my, my past, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it makes sense though as well, like when we think about the – pardon the pun, but like the cycle of what's happening from parents passing it down to their kids, like if they were shamed about it and they weren't educated about it and then they never were encouraged to learn about it, then naturally they're going to feel pretty uncomfortable and pretty awkward to have those discussions with their kids when it comes up because they may not necessarily even know the right thing to say or the right thing to explain. And then when it comes to like the other half of the family, like the father's side, I'd say mm. 99% of blokes probably have no clue what to say. And that's your, that's your mum stuff. Like, don't, don't come yeah. to me about that. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, I think yeah. there's definitely that pattern, obviously. And if, if no one steps in to really break it and, and educate, then, mm-hmm. then nothing's going to change. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we definitely need to break the cycle, so, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Maybe that's the episode uh, yeah. title, break the cycle. How to Break the Cycle. So, Faith, how did, <laughs> how did you, in, in your journey, like how did you get down the path of really specialising in, in women's health and, and the cycle and, and really working with clients yeah. from that perspective? Yeah, good question. So I have two situations. I had multiple pregnancies, unwanted pregnancies when I was younger and which resorted into terminations. And I had no idea that I knew nothing about my cycle or how to track my cycle. And then eventually I went on the Implanon and looking back, I'm like, wow, I was on the Implanon for six years and then I was on the mini pill and I was a I used to get called by partners like emotionally inept, like I had no emotions. <laughs> and now knowing what these these things do, like the implanon and the peel, like it can severely impact a woman's um, emotions, uh, mm-hmm. you know, her psychology. And so I was literally a mute. I didn't feel happiness. I didn't feel sadness. I was literally walking around like stone cold. And it wasn't until I came off the peel that I was like, whoa, I am a different person. Like that person on the peel and on the implanon was not me, but I thought it was me for so many years. And I actually thought there's something wrong with me because I don't feel certain things. Mm. So there's that. And then secondly, the other thing that led me on this path is um, I was a PT on the gym floor and I trained a lot of females from the age of, you know, early 20s to late 40s. And a common thing was 
hormones kept popping up, like where they're at in the, you know, period pain or coming onto the gym floor and being like, I'm in so much pain. I can't do much today. And I was like, I need to start tracking this. I need to start tracking. I have no idea what I'm tracking, but I need Mm -hmm. to start tracking when my clients are due for their period and what their symptoms are. And so I started tracking it with my clients. And so when they would come onto the gym floor, I would manipulate the way that I would train them. I knew fuck all back then about what I know now, but I knew that I had to, sorry, am I allowed to swear on here? Oh, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Go yeah. Fucking go. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, I swear a lot. Um, I knew nothing back then, and I, but I just knew that I had to start paying attention. And so mm. that then led me on the path of my own kind of research. I started to research. I started to buy books. Um, and then, you know, it opened up a whole new um, avenue for me. And then I went down the health coaching route. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And if you were to sort of explain like what you learned and, and how, you, how you got into the understanding of the cycle, how would you mm. simplify it to, to someone that, that just has absolutely no understanding? Like they just think you get your period and that's it. Yeah. So how did I learn? Do you mean like how did I learn about the cycle? You, like if you were teaching it to someone now that's uh, never yeah. heard of it, how, how would you explain it in the simplest way? Yeah, in the simplest way. Okay. In the simplest way, I would say that there's four parts of the cycle and we have, we can even break it down to two parts, but it's, it's much more complex than that. So we have the bleed, which is the period. We have the follicular phase where estrogen is the most abundant hormone. We then have ovulation and ovulation is a 24 hour event. And that is where an egg is released. And we are then left with an endocrine, like this, this temporary endocrine gland, which is so unique. And that is responsible for producing progesterone, which then takes us on into the luteal phase. Mm-hmm. And that happens every month. And in the luteal phase, the progesterone is most abundant. So to break that up even more, we then have the follicular phase where estrogen is most abundant, the luteal phase, progesterone. And then as we kind of come to the end of the cycle, those sex hormones taper down, we bleed again, and then that whole cycle happens again. Mm. That actually leads perfectly into my next question. What does a healthy cycle actually look like? So that is... Is that a healthy cycle right there? And that's what it should look like. And can you explain a little bit about what does a healthy cycle look and even feel like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And I think what we need to, um, we, we, as a woman, she needs to stop. I think a lot of women who choose to get educated in this space everything's based off a 28 day cycle and not many Mm. women actually have a 28 day cycle. Mm. So, and do you have to have a 28 day cycle to have a healthy cycle? No, no, Mm. no. A healthy cycle is looking at all those individual components of that cycle. So there's four phases and seeing what your symptoms or lack of symptoms are in those four phases. So a normal cycle can be anywhere from 24 to 35 days. But then when we want to look at is, are you actually ovulating? Because if you're not ovulating, that is not a healthy cycle. What is your bleed like? Are you like excessively bleeding and have clots? Because that's a sign that there's something going on. But if your bleed is no more than, you know, 
they say like 70 to 80 meals lost over that, that the days that you have your period, well then that's within range of having a normal period. If your bleed is scanty, so not much blood, that's a sign of low hormones as well. If you have a short luteal phase, like, you know, the luteal phase and optimal, optimal is about 14 days, but say if you have like a nine day or seven day luteal phase, well, that's going to be a sign of low progesterone. And so looking at all of these signs and symptoms within the cycle is important. It can feel overwhelming at first, but it's important. And I think Mm. the main things that you want to look at is like, what are your, like your psychological and physiological um, symptoms? Mm. So for Mm. some women, the physical symptoms can be like severe lethargy and fatigue or bloating or constipation or diarrhea um it could be um the this like the emotional state so like a woman's emotions is going to change as she leads into a bleed but those erratic mood swings are not normal like mm. yes your mood will change but having those severe mood swings is not normal and so it's just trying to understand okay like what symptoms i always start with what symptoms are normal and then everything mm. from that is abnormal <laughs> So if you look at the symptoms that are normal, like a woman is going to have a slight bit of cramping on like the day before or or day one of her period, but it shouldn't require pain medication. How many Mm. women are relying on pain medication when it comes to their bleed? A lot. And then long term, it just makes it even worse. Yeah. And it's not addressing the underlying root cause of why Mm. they're suffering. Um, Another one is like headaches, migraines, migraines. So they're not normal. Sorry, I'll start with normal again. So like having a bleed that doesn't require pain medication, that doesn't leave you feeling nauseous or vomiting, um, you can still carry on with your day-to-day activities. Um, Yes, you might pull back in the gym a little bit, but you should be able to still pick up your kids from school or you should be able to like hang the clothes on the washing line, you know, go for a walk, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then – a little bit of sore lower back for some women, but again, it shouldn't be super painful. Yep. So you shouldn't yep. be in bed curled up with a hot water bottle on your stomach, eating chocolate, watching movies. <laughs> mm. 100%. And I've had some clients like they just save their sick days for when they yeah. when they get their period as well. Mm. Yeah. They just know it's going to be that bad. And then obviously, like what we know about the the mental component of that is as well. If you're naturally going to dread something, then it's going to be a, ne- a nocebo effect anyway. So it's going to be exacerbated even more. Mm, so yeah. true. So apart from understanding all of those things that you just spoken about, how can women start to track that? Like, is there any tools that they can start to use or, you know, say for example, all right, if I was a woman, what could I start doing today to start to have a little bit more understanding about how to track what that looks like and feels like? Yeah. I always say to like newbies that are fresh to, you know, tracking, I say just start tracking your cycle. So the length of your cycle and your bleed and start mm. tracking your physical and emotional symptoms. I say that first because, first of all, that's bringing awareness to how you feel in and around your cycle. Then there's like – so there's like a hierarchy to tracking. So that would be like, you know, at the bottom of the period. The next thing would be like, okay, let's start looking at your biomarkers. So 
your cervical mucus and basal body temperature. Let's start like getting a little bit more in tune with this. I usually use cervical mucus first and then bring in the basal body temperature. So are you seeing cervical mucus in and around, you know, ovulation? And you can Mm. use like the calendar month. If someone is tracking, you can be like, okay, I'm seeing cervical mucus around day 12 or day 13 or day 14. This is a sign of potential ovulation. And is there a really good app to log all this, Faye? Is there a good app to log all this? Yeah, I really like Read Your Body. Like that's my favorite app. Um, mm-hmm. One, because like you can hold a lot of this information in and two, when you're a coach, it's really aesthetically pleasing. I love it. Like all of my clients send in their um, their like, their like chart for the, for the check-ins. So I get them to yep. send them in. So Read Your Body is my favorite. And also when it comes to apps, some apps are based off an algorithm, which is not great. And then other mm. apps like Read Your Body are based off the information that you input into the app. So it's not based mm. off an algorithm. Because if, and also understanding that all women should not <laughs> rely on their app, app to predict when their fertile window is. Like you need to track these biomarkers. So if you're wanting to come away from the peel or whatever IUD you're using, then maybe I, I would def, like you want to, rely on your biomarkers rather than the app itself to predict ovulation. Yeah. And you just mentioned before the pill. So when you're on the pill or another contraceptive, is it still technically a normal cycle or is it something that's, it's it's shorter? No. So I I was just going to say short answer, no. Short answer, no. Um, okay. Yeah. So when it comes to contraception, there's many types of contraception. Some you can still cycle on and some you it just shuts down your hormones completely. So if we look at the pill, if someone's taking a pill, so there's combination pills or there's like progesterone-only pills. And so mm. these pills, what they do is they shut down. So we actually menstruate from the brain. So there's this communication pathway between the brain and the ovaries. And what the pill does is it shuts that communication pathway down. And so we no longer have a cycle. We are not cycling. And the PMS or the bleed that you're experiencing on that pill is basically either a withdrawal from these drugs or they are a symptom of these drugs. Mm, That's fucked. And then... Because a lot of a lot of women will go, yeah, I've got my period, and I'm like, okay, but I'm on Yasmin, and I'm like, well, that that's not a period because you're on the pill, and you're just having a withdrawal bleed. So basically, the, mm. those, you know, the, I don't know if you guys know much about the pill, but there's these sugar tablets that women should yeah. take. Some people don't take them, and then that brings on like a bleed, and that's from the withdrawal of these drugs. Mm. And then. You've got things like the IUD where the IUD is inserted into the cervix and you've got hormonal IUD or you've got a copper IUD. And the mm. copper IUD you can still apparently <laughs> ovulate on. However, I've had clients that don't ovulate with the copper IUD. And mm. then you've got the marina, which um, is like a progestin um, IUD, and that is basically um, – it's yeah again it's it's creating an environment where sperm can't survive basically so it's more localized however there's still massively a systemic 
um, it still has systemic problems throughout the body. So you've got that, and then you've got the implanon, which is the the rod that goes in the arm, the plastic rod, mm-hmm. and that releases um, progestin. And then there's needles, like there's a lot out there. Mm. What about even like the the morning after pill? Like, is that having some negative consequences on the continuation of a healthy cycle? it can definitely throw your cycle out. So if you take the morning after pill, then yes, it can impact the um, the cycle for a couple of months after, definitely. I've definitely mm-hmm. seen that with clients. Yep. And if if you're someone that's been on it and you're coming off at Faye, what is the rough timeline to, to like realistically be able to track your cycle again and, and regulate it again? So coming from experience, like I came off the mini pill – and I didn't even have a bleed and I fell pregnant the, the, my first ovulation. So my first cycle. Wow. <laughs> so I tell all women to track things like cervical mucus and basal body temperature straight away mm-hmm. because I was not prepared. Like I am blessed with my son now, but like I was not prepared. I was like, I'm going to have to, you know, wait about six to six months to a year. It, it you know, it takes some time and, I was just not prepared. I was like, boom, I was pregnant straight away. So I've had that happen to a couple of clients as well. So, or I would start straight away by tracking these biomarkers. Um, Mm. For some, I've got clients that have been on the pill and didn't get their cycle back for 10 years after. Mm. So when we look at the cycle, it actually takes five to 10 years. I would say 10 years to mature. So if you are a 13-year-old girl and you've had one menstrual cycle and you've been put on the pill, well, that cycle isn't mature. That communication pathway hasn't been matured enough. And so you may run into implications further on down the track in life with fertility and having that menstrual cycle. I've had clients with eating disorders who were put on the pill to bring back their cycle who had never had a period before and now they don't have a cycle because their body never had one in the first place. Mm. Yeah. And what would you say to like, for, for those that are on the pill, I know you mm-hmm. touched before on, on your own journey with it and how you were pretty much just dissociated from, from the real you. What are some other things that, that uh, are some big changes coming off the pill that, that, that people will notice? Yeah, it's a really good question because the first thing I always ask clients is why did you go on the pill in the first place? Because Mm. a lot of women are put on the pill other than birth control. In fact, majority of women go on birth control for other reasons than birth control. So that's my first question I always ask. (laughs) So let's go down that path for a sec. So I know acne is obviously a really big one and then the term like balancing out hormones and obviously – for females that are going through endo and PCOS, is there any other key yeah. ones that are just sort of? And can you can you please debunk all of these as well <laughs> as to yeah. how this is solving those issues? Yeah, you've pretty much named the majority of them. So acne, painful periods, heavy periods, um, you know, endo, PCOS. Um, hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is complete loss of cycle. So like that's that Mm. eating disorder client that I was talking about who was put on the pill to bring back her cycle, which Mm, isn't the case. 
This is just merely a Band-Aid. Like it's just, it's a Band-Aid and whenever you decide to come back on the peel, that those issues will either, they'll come back or they'll come back tenfold. Mm. Yeah. So it's probably an easy answer, but is there ever a good time to be on the pill? Um, Look, I used to preach about the pill and really be like, you shouldn't be on the pill, da-da-da-da-da, you know. But now I'm very much like you – make an informed decision if you want to go in the pill. And what I mean by that is get educated on what the pill does and how it can impact your overall health. And if you're still fine with it, Mm. then who am I to tell you whether you go on the Mm. pill or not? Yeah, so true. And again, I think that leads into the next question is, so what does – what does an unhealthy cycle look and feel like? So you just mentioned some of those symptoms before, but, you know, can, continuing with that, like, you know, what what does an unhealthy cycle look and feel like? Yeah. Oh, there's so many symptoms. <laughs> so yeah. it can range from, like, you know, long bleeds. So, you know, like if it's, it's, if it's long bleeds, lots of blood loss, clots, you know, clots are like I've I've seen some horrific clots from clients, um, migraines, mood swings, severe lethargy. Um, I would say acne is a big one. Um, yeah. Not ovulating. You know, a lot of women aren't tracking ovulation, so they probably don't know if they are ovulating. But not ovulating is a sign that there's some issues going on with hormones. Um, yeah. Did I say constipation, diarrhea, all of those things? Mm. Um, yeah, they're probably like yeah. the main, mm. the main ones that I see. And then like what we talk about with the whole fact that the conventional medical field is really covering off these symptoms, all the pills doing essentially is just masking those. It's not actually addressing any of those issues. Mm. And one thing I like to, to say, Fader, like really simplify in terms of like the, the cycle is I really like to talk about the body from an evolutionary perspective because obviously as far as we've come in society, et cetera, or you can question that, but ultimately we're still the same human on the inside and the way our biology is as we were hundreds and thousands of years ago. So with that being said, if the body has that innate ability to predict danger and predict if it's in a safe space or not, and if it knows that it's not in a safe space, which so many people in their current health aren't in a safe space, why is it going to give them the tools and the resources it needs to create another human being when it can't sustain their own life? A hundred percent. And if you look at the pill and what it depletes you of, it depletes you of the very nutrients that you need for reproductive health. Mm. Mm. So, you know, it's, (sighs) there's so many like negatives if you weigh up the pros and the cons of, you know, birth control, there's so the negatives far, there's far more negatives than positives. Mm. Um, and I think we're dealing with a lot of issues when it comes to mental health, hormone health, gut health. A lot of that is driven by the, the oral birth control. And with um, it, Faye, how would you, how would you encourage someone to go through the process? Like if they're hearing this and like, all right, I'm, I want to get off it. What does that process look like? What's the timeline that you need to start to really put the work in before you come off it to really optimise that that withdrawal period? 
I think with the pill, like it's pretty, yes, you'll have some symptoms when you come off the pill, but it's like, you can, you can stop it today. You don't have to wean yourself off of it. I think the the main thing that women need to focus on, if they're using birth control as a, a source of birth control, get educated on how to track your cycle first and foremost, because that is going to take the fear of like, oh shit, I don't want to fall pregnant, because that's a lot of women do fear that. Yeah. And yep. then what you can do is like you could do blood work prior to coming off the pill and see what nutrient deficiencies you have and what else is going on. You could start mm-hmm. taking things like B vitamins, um, you know, zinc, magnesium, all the things that um, the pill depletes us off. You can start taking that now while on the pill. And then mm-hmm. as you transition, keep going with, with, with those nu- uh, nutrients. There's, there's way more, by the way, that the, the pill depletes <laughs> us off. And then just understanding that, if you were on the pill other than for being on like birth control, if it was acne, be prepared. It's going to come back. Yeah. It's going to come back. And the first, yeah, the first three months Mm. are usually pretty good. And you're like, Oh my God, my skin's like, it's totally fine. And then boom, three months comes around and it's back tenfold. So there's a little bit of like patience, like, Mm. you know, you still have to uh, address the acne and where the acne is stemming from. And what do you think, if we, if we step away from it for a second, what do you think is it the, the root for a lot of these female health issues? Like what do you think is causing a lot of the issues with hormone imbalances? Oh, there's so much. I know um, <laughs> I'll, I'll start rattling them off. So I guess like nutritional quality and quantity first and foremost. Okay, women are either under eating chronically, thanks to diet culture, yeah. or they're overeating certain macros. So maybe they're not getting enough protein, or they're mm. you know not getting enough healthy fats, and maybe they're consuming you know too many highly processed foods. So I always start with food first. So looking at nutritional yeah. quality and quantity first and foremost. Yep. Another one would be um, endocrine disrupting chemicals. That's a big one. So whether it's your beauty products, whether it's whatever you're injecting into your face, uh, breast implants, we can't look past that. Um, You know, we're surrounded by a lot of chemicals. So what can we do to mitigate? Like we're not, we're never going to have a complete like low tox. It's life. It's Mm -hmm. like, but what can we control in our realm, in our house, that kind of stuff. So beauty Mm -hmm. products would be, you know, my first go-to drinking filtered water, that kind of stuff, food quality. So you've got endocrine disrupting chemicals, you've got food quality and quantity. I also believe that women are trying to be like men. So Mm. women are trying to hustle hard. Is there a difference between a man and a woman, Faye? (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's debatable these days. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah. yeah we're just like we're trying to live on this 24-hour clock that men live on when we're not we're cyclical beings and mm. so this drive and this like hustle culture has definitely impacted women and their overall health I, be- I honestly believe that and we're hyper masculine these days so like look I consider myself quite a masculine female but there's a lot of women that are like hyper masculine. So like, yeah. 
And I think that I, coincides I with like the, the drop in masculinity yeah. that a lot of women yeah. have to step up to the plate because the man and the masculine has just gone down so far, yeah. which we've spoken about yeah. before as well. Well, it's, I mean, it's mm. a huge part of, you know, the pillars that we speak about, you mm. know, tapping into the feminine and the masculine. And it's so important to be able to understand both and to be able to shift into mm. both. And it's so healthy, especially in a, in a straight relationship. Like, you know, with me and my wife, like, there is definitely a shift in roles when the time needs it and it's so healthy. And, like, even when I hang out with my mates, like, there's times where we'll tap into being, you know, very masculine dominant, but then there will also be times where we can sit down and have a cup of tea, (laughs) cross-legged and, you know, and um, talk about our breathing and our emotions. For sure. (laughs) And and that's a beautiful part of it. They are the best days. And I would consider myself like a really good balance and same as you between that masculine and feminine. It's, mm. it's, it's very, very healthy to um, understand both. What do you think about intermittent fasting for women, Faye? I think it, I'm, I'm going to be controversial here. It does have its place. So mm. for some women, it does have its place and more in the peri, peri and postmenopause space. Yep. But what are you using intermittent fasting for? Is it mm-hmm. diet? Or is it because you want to give your digestion a rest and you want it to recalibrate and all that kind of stuff, which intermittent yep. fasting can be really beneficial for. But a lot of women yep. are using it for weight loss. Yep. And, mm-hmm. like, it depends on the hours as well. Like, how long are you fasting for? Um, I'm always like, it depends. <laughs> but it really yeah. does depend. <laughs> it, does. it really does depend. Like you could do a yeah. time restricted eating window if that means that you're gonna, you know, lower your calories. Look at it however you want to look at it. But for mm-hmm. the majority of women, I think intermittent fasting is the least of their problems. They need to focus on eating consistently throughout the day, yeah. regular meal times and the quality and quantity of their food. And if mm-hmm. you do that, you can see, you can watch some of your symptoms decrease drastically. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on a calorie deficit and having a healthy cycle? Like do those two things just not match up? So does is a calorie deficit required to get a healthy menstrual cycle? And for some people that is. Because if you're overweight and you're and your body fat percentage is super high, you may run into things like PCOS. You may mm. have, you may need, um, you may need to be in a calorie deficit. For mm. the majority of women, insulin resistance is a driver for PCOS. So mm. a calorie deficit, however you do it, is going to sometimes be required. Now, yeah. if you are super lean and small and petite and you're wanting to, lose weight from God knows where it's going to come from, then a calorie deficit is not for you. Mm. So I think like, so like what I always say, like I would love for women just to eat at maintenance for a year and see how you feel and see how your body responds. I love that answer. And I feel like when, when I work with female clients as well, when we go through their Mm. actual food journaling and what they're eating, like they overestimate what they eat so much i think it comes back to the the cultural aspect of it that 
it's it's that pressure to to be skinny and it's that pressure to look good and that pressure to have no body fat that yeah it's again it's it's shameful to think yeah. about eating a substantial meal but most people don't realize you actually need to eat a lot no matter how big you are mm. you still need to eat a lot to hit your like daily protein targets and your daily macros yeah unless if you eat yeah. especially if you're eating whole foods for sure for, oh definitely mm. and it's always a combination of um they're underfed with poor quality food. Mm. So there's that combination of not only are they not eating enough food, but they're not eating enough quality nutrients. Nutrient deficient. Nutrient deficient. Yeah. And like, then what what we're going to say next about training, what's what's the next issue there, Faye, with overtraining? Oh, my God. Um, there's definitely a lot of people that are overtraining and under eating. I'm, I'm a big believer in like – it's not so much overtraining, it's under-recovering and under-nourishing mm. yourself so that it can't fuel your training. Yeah. Um, you could train six times a week, but your your recovery and your food intake needs to reflect that and it needs to, you mm. know, um, yeah, it needs to aid in your recovery and aid in building muscle mass. But I feel like a lot of women, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of women gravitate towards these like 45 minute circuit classes. Mm. Um, they use mm. cardio as a weight loss tool and they just, they they just go through these ebbs and flows of this binge restrict, binge restrict cycle. And so it's like, mm. I'm going to do an eight week challenge and I'm going to put myself on 1200 calories and I'm going to go do F45 five times, six times a week. And mm. it's like, they just end up at square one when they decide not to do the challenge anymore. So I would love to hear from you why you think protein is so important. We always talk about it. You need to eat more protein, you know, and Mm. in the past when I've spoken to female clients, you need to eat more protein and they just come back and they go, Oh, I just, I I struggle to hit it. Do I really need to eat that much? And I go, yeah, Mm. you do. But can you explain to the average listener out there why it's so damn important to eat your protein? Mm-hmm. Okay, so a lot of women want to get toned, right? Or to have that, that toned word. look. Yeah. <laughs> what does toned actually mean? Right? Does that mean that oh, we have God. to eat less? Yeah, <laughs> Don't it, get me started. Is toned becoming skinny or is yeah. toned becoming bulky or is it a combination of both? I don't want to get yes. muscly but I want to get toned. Yeah. That's the, that's yeah. The, yeah, so, yeah, sorry, ladies. But like, we're not shaming you, but every time that conversation, some guy, I, I hear guys say that. Oh, all the for time sure. As well. oh, I don't definitely. want to get too bulky, but I want to put some lean muscle on. And I always okay. come back. Oh, so you want to put on muscle? And they're like, No, 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 no. And I'm like, No, you, you want to put on muscle? Trust me. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, yeah. Faye. Sorry. No, that's okay. Like, I love, I love that we're on the same page there. But it's like a common thing that we see with women is like that toned look that they're trying to achieve is actually they need to build muscle. And so to build muscle, we need to have adequate amount of protein. And, you know, protein, like a lot of animal protein is so high in nutrients as well. Like you look at red meat, you know, women back in, back when I was younger, it was like women didn't eat red meat. It was like a, not a thing. It was like you eat your chicken and your fish because it's all like low fat and da 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 da. Like that's still a thing to this day. And mm. so red, like red meat is so nutrient dense that your that's, it's important for our overall health. And so like there's that, that muscle building, 
Um, it keeps us satiated for longer. It helps with blood sugar management. Um, it helps build that tone body that you're trying to to yep. achieve. And if for you're sure. tr- if you're dieting down, that protein is going to help with maintaining that muscle that mm. you have also you know built. Definitely. Have. And yeah. coming back to the cycle is mm. having a sufficient amount of protein or an abundant amount of protein going to help with that side of things as well? A hundred percent. You know, like mm. a lot of women are like a common thing that I see in blood work is low iron for women. Yep. And it's usually diet related. Like, yes, it can be other things, but majority of the time it's diet related. And so iron's a big one. And so we are losing blood every single month. And for some women, it's more than others. And yep. low iron can also be a driver for heavy periods. So it might not, it, it can be a cause of heavy periods. So, you know, uh, protein is important for iron, you know, yep. um, animal protein. Then we've got yep. like um, certain aminos and stuff like that with, that we require. So, um, yeah, it's super important. Zinc, you know, red meat is high in zinc selenium, mm. that kind of stuff, which we, we, we need for our, a healthy menstrual cycle. Yeah. And, I mean, this might open a can of worms, but can we get iron from a supplement from Chemist Warehouse? Like is that going to do the same thing or do we need to or be – the infusion. Or the infusion or do we need to be making sure that we have iron from the most bioavailable source? Yes, you definitely want to get it from the most bioavailable source. Um, it depends what iron supplement you're you, using. You know, I'm, I'm not like, I sometimes use an iron supplement with some women. Um, yep. but I, I'm more in, like, I'll usually gravitate to something like a desiccated beef spleen or yep. liver or mm. something like that. Yep. Um, in some cases, maybe I would look at iron bisglycinate, but yeah, that's, you know, I try and opt for food first. A lot of these iron supplements that you're going to get from the doctors, like, Multifor and Ferrograd C, they're going to cause huge amounts of digestive issues and mm. it's prob- you're probably not going to absorb that iron. So yeah. I think iron's like a, a big thing, but there's also a lot of drivers for why someone is low in iron. So it could be low stomach yeah. acid. It could be gut dysbiosis yeah. of some sort. So, yeah. yeah. Well, this is, this is perfect because I would actually love you to go down a nice little rabbit hole and explain the relationship between the gut and our hormones. I mean, specifically for women. Mm -hmm. So estrogen has this interplay with serotonin and a lot of serotonin is produced in the gut and estrogen, it, it, um, basically serotonin is responsible for motility. So if we have low estrogen, we could potentially have low serotonin as well, which then can lead into implications like constipation. So mm. that's like that's that side of things. Um, and what would some symptoms we, of low estrogen look like, Faye? Low estrogen, like um, it can impact like uh, libido. It can look like... Um, like a light scanty bleed. So if someone has like a really light bleed and doesn't require many kind of like a tampon or a pad or it's, it's just very scanty, that's a sign of low estrogen. Um, just like 
like, um, you know, if it's even to more extremes, it would be like osteoporosis or, you know, the inability to build, you know, muscle mass or, um, yeah, there's lots, lots of different ones. Um, constipation could be one, you know, um, sorry, good. Perfect. Sorry. Yeah. Perfect. I thought you said <laughs> no. No, no, So, yeah, there's, they're kind of like the, the main ones. Um, and, yeah, low estrogen we'll see a lot in women, obviously, as they get older because estrogen declines as we get older naturally. But then we see it with women who have, like, hypothalamic amenorrhea, so complete loss of cycle. Yeah. And then, you know, they might be more susceptible to fractures and, irritability and anxiety like there are other other key things that um you can look at as well Mm. so you you hear this term that's always thrown around and i i know you're going to go into this straight away but you always hear i think i've got pcos i think i've got Mm -hmm. endometriosis like what is that actually as a term and can you mm-hmm. explain a little bit about, again, the relationship between gut health and hormones and PCOS and endometriosis and why is that word just constantly being thrown around? Yeah. So a lot of these hormone, well, PCOS is more of like a hormonal issue, whereas endo is very much like there's a huge correlation between the gut and endo. Mm. And so... PCOS, um, you know, a lot of women that have PCOS can be low in estrogen and low in progesterone. Progesterone actually helps with, um, so progesterone enhances this enzyme called diamine oxidase and diamine oxidase is a enzyme that helps break down histamine. So that's why progesterone is also really important for the gut health as well. Mm. Um, and then when we look at like progesterone, yeah, it could be. It could be. Yep. It could be one thing. I mean, it's probably not the only thing, but it could definitely be. And we see this in perimenopausal women as well. So, like, they're estrogen dominant naturally. They're estrogen dominant because their progesterone is declining, and then that can lead to more histamine issues. Yeah. Um, but with the PCOS, like, there's different types of PCOS, but the most common ones are inflammatory and insulin. And I usually see them hand in hand together. So that inflammation is usually stemming from the gut. And is there some sort of gut dysbiosis that is going on there? And so addressing the gut is usually like a lot of my clients, I'm having to address the gut. So when you think about the Mm -hmm. menstrual cycle, it's what's going on upstream. Like the menstrual cycle is usually the last thing to get impacted. So what's going on upstream? Yep. Um, and then like with, with endo, like, oh my God, I feel for women that have endo because I've seen how much it can impact their mental health, their physical health, the pain and like the, the negligence when it comes to the conventional way of dealing with endo. And we definitely need that. There's lots of research out there, but we definitely need more and women need more support with this, with endo. Mm -hmm. But there is a big correlation between gut health and endometriosis as well. And so, yeah, yeah, you definitely want to be diving into gut health. So is it fair enough and as easy as just fixing the gut or is that just like a really good place to start? Because I understand that there's nothing specific like what we were speaking about before in terms of Band-Aid fixes, that is just going to instantly fix PCOS. We actually have to go, okay, well, why is this happening? Why are these Mm. symptoms presenting? And is that 
looking straight at the gut or like we always speak about, it's that top-down approach, understanding what's happening upstairs, understanding the relationship between the gut and the brain and really understanding you on a deeper level. It's mm. not just as easy as going, I've got this, so I need this for this reason. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I was told, taught this by a mentor and I always use this phrase, but it's like when we look at some sort of health issue, whether it be endo or PCOS or thyroid disease, we want to untangle the physiological web. So what is the what is driving these these dysfunctions in the body? And for some people it is multiple things. And so yeah. just addressing the gut is not going to be the answer. And if we look at the nervous system with the gut, like the two go hand in hand. If we're not addressing the nervous system and someone's trying to heal their gut but they're constantly jacked up in that sympathetic dominance, then mm. you're not going to heal. You you can't mm. heal in that sympathetic dominance. So, okay. So where like my the way, the way that I onboard a client is I'm asking a lot of questions, which I'm sure you guys yeah. do as well. Yeah. And it's like this person's probably thinking, "What the fuck?" Like she wants to know the ins and outs of everything, but I need to know that to be able to understand what is driving these issues. So, yeah. is there some sort of trauma component? Is there exposure to things like mold or chemicals at your work or something like that. Um, have you like, yeah, there's, there's multiple things. Is there an immune component to it? So Mm -hmm. yeah, like, yeah, it's untangling that physiological web and finding those drivers and then trying to address those drivers, not all at once necessarily, but like, okay, if the, if there's trauma or if it's a nervous system thing, then let's look at that first because you're not going to be able to go into a gut protocol if you're constantly like on edge all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think so. we, and we've spoken about this, but that whole idea of stress is people just underestimate what that actually looks mm-hmm. like. They think they have to yeah. literally be pulling their hair out all the time or have something on their mind to be yeah. in that stress state. Mm-hmm. Whereas their body, and, and we spoke about it with like, what Joe Dispenza talks about with how we're addicted to the energetic and emotional state that we know, their body is just going to crave that if it's something that they experienced when they were younger with trauma and then they grew up with. So I think the the practices we spoke about, like the breath and meditation and journaling and like all and grounding, like all these little Mm. things you can do to help reset that because I think we really underestimate underestimate how many people are in that sympathetic dominance. Yeah, and a lot of my gut issues stemmed from simply just under-recovering like what what Faye spoke about before. And we always think training is a good thing. And like you said, it is an amazing thing that we should all be doing. But if we're under-recovering, it's still going to cause that stress on the Mm -hmm. body and it caused a cascade of gut issues for me that didn't actually present as a gut issue. So it didn't actually present as bloating it didn't present as constipation or diarrhea. It presented in my hormones. Mine was mm. low libido, low testosterone, yeah. brain fog, things that, that, well, those biofeedback markers are not associated for the normal person with the gut. They're just like, oh, yeah. that just seems wrong. That just seems off. Why mm. Why can't I get an erection for men? Mm. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. That, that in itself and all of these markers that we should be looking for, is most likely something happening upstream and, you know, starting from here. And I was just, 
I was dialed into my training twice a day, every single day, no recovery, and it caused that. Mm. So, so I, Faye, what would you say then if if someone's coming to see you and they literally just come with like their bloods and it's just a four hormonal panel? Just, how do you, just a how hormonal. Do you re- they just give you their hormones. They're like, I want you to fix my hormones because I feel like yeah. I've had a lot of. I've, I've had a lot of female clients that are like, I want to fix my hormones, I want to fix my hormones, I want to balance my hormones. But they they expect that we just jump into that straight away or we go on Vitex, we go on DIM, and then that's just going to sort yeah, everything yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. I always say like a hormone panel tells us jack shit. Like mm. it doesn't tell us anything. Like so many women come to me and be like, do you need my hormone panel, female hormone panel? I'm like, I don't need it. I need every other blood work but that. Yeah. And I yeah. can usually tell I can usually tell a lot if someone's tracking their cycle, I can tell a lot by their cycle and symptoms anyway. Yeah. Yep. So yep. like yes, you can go get your hormonal panel done if you like. Like for PCOS, obviously you were gonna test androgens because that's probably gonna be, mm-hmm. you know, elevated. But mm-hmm. your progesterone, estrogen may be low, so like do we really need them? Yeah. But for the majority of women, I'm like Hormone, hormone, like the female hormone panel will tell me jack shit. You can have estrogen dominant like symptoms and not have high estrogen on your blood work. So, mm. yeah. And, <laughs> and Faye, why do you think now there's just such a crisis in terms of fertility? Uh, I was speaking to one of my clients earlier today and I mentioned that you were coming on the podcast. I'm like, oh, what are some good things we can talk about? And, and we just sort of spitball. But but she was saying the the whole idea of fertility and the things that, that a lot of women never knew about when they were younger that they did. Obviously, the pill is going to be one of them. But other factors there that are leading, because she was talking about like pretty much 50% of her friends are currently like going through IVF. And I guess then we can sort of talk about IVF in general and, and the misconceptions around that and why that's also a sort of last resort. But why do you think there are so many fertility issues um, that have that are really taken over at the moment? Yeah. I think it goes back to the question that you guys asked me before is like, why is there so many hormonal issues going on? Mm-hmm. And so if our reproductive health is shot due to long-term use of, you know, the pill or yo-yo dieting or eating like a sparrow or, um, you know, trauma even, or not really even understanding your cycle. Like a lot of women are trying to conceive actually not knowing when their fertile window is. Mm. And then I think on the flip to that, that something that gets neglected a lot is the health of the male. Like, are we looking at sperm quality, quantity, like morphology, motility, their overall health? Um, There's so much that I think like a lot of miscarriages, people don't understand that it's actually due to poor sperm quality. Mm -hmm. And so we can't just look at like the woman. And I think a lot of pressure used to be put on women. And like, you know, I remember when I was pregnant, (laughs) my partner was like, oh, I've got a driver for nine months so I can keep drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Like that, that was like, and you hear that like a lot. Um, I knew nothing about what I, what I know now. I knew nothing back then, but I think like, yeah, there's, there's, you know, like I said, I've, I've kind of rattled them on EMF exposure, endocrine disrupting chemicals, not really understanding your hormones. Um, but then also bringing in the the male side of that as well. And Mm. then a lot of uh, IVF, like don't get me started on that, but it's a business and a business that makes a lot of money and mm. um, 
it has its time and its place. It definitely does. But for the vast majority of women that are going down the IVF route, they like if they really looked into their health a little bit more, they probably could not go through the IVF. Mm. I had a 24-year-old come to me who was considering going through IVF. Like that scared the shit out of me because I was like, why? Like she was having issues falling pregnant. She just needed to eat more and go on a few key supplements. Like it was that easy and she Mm. fell pregnant. Yeah. And so if if you've got a female who started tracking their cycle and they're looking to to fall pregnant, what are Mm. some other things that they can really do to enhance their fertility? Um, so apart from like all the big rocks, so, you know, nutritional quality, quantity, healthy body Mm -hmm. fat percentage, whether that's, you know, losing weight or gaining weight. And on Um, that faith, can you just talk about, I think the, the estrogen band that like sits in, in the abdomen. Can you explain that? Cause I've had some clients, I'm sure you've been the same mm -hmm. Zach. They're like, I just want to lose this, this like little bit of fat here or this little bit of weight here. Can you just talk about that? Yeah. The, the pooch is what they, yeah. the, the women <laughs> Look, you can definitely, like, women do have, like, that they carry that extra bit of fat there. A, a lot of women do. It protects some of our, you know, organs. Mm. And that pooch as well, like, as women get older, we do start to see this kind of estrogen dominance. And, yes, you may hold a little bit more of weight around that midsection. I think like the desire to have this completely flat stomach is just like you're chasing something that maybe doesn't exist. And I think it's Mm. like I've had clients like this, like I had a client that was bloated but had no other symptoms in regards to gut health. And we actually ran a stool sample and a stool sample was, was great. Like it was fantastic. Then I looked at things like posture And her posture was like, her spine was like this. And then like her hips were like that far forward and her neck was like, it was just way out. So she had no lower abdominal um, kind of like strength and she had no Mm. muscle mass on her as well. So that was impacting her posture, which made her look like she had, you know, this distension through the, through the lower abdominals. Um, But yeah, I think this desire to chase a flat stomach all the time. Mm is just like not really achievable for most women. We were talking about um, that with our last guest, Eugene, who's a breathwork facilitator. Mm. And and just the fact that so many women have inverted breathing patterns because they mm. don't want their diaphragm to expand when they breathe. So they're all constantly sucking in when they breathe. Mm. And then yeah. they're breathing from that stress response, which is from their yeah. head to their neck and across. So they're yeah. turning on that sympathetic nervous system again. Yeah. And they're actually yeah. making the issues even worse. Yeah. I actually had a really interesting client today face-to-face. And the first thing she said to me is, she goes, Zach, I just need to get out of back pain. Mm. just Mm. need to get out of back pain and she Mm. was tiny and I looked and exactly like Faye was just saying like she was just in this huge anterior pelvic tilt Mm. lower back was just constantly loaded yeah I took her through some breathing and bracing and actually got her to expand her belly and Mm. I said no I want you to expand your belly. And she goes, I am. And I go, no, I want you to expand yeah. your belly. And she goes, like this. And I go, like that. And I'm like, now squat for me. And she goes, oh, my God, the pain's gone. I'm like, thank you. Yeah. You're, you're actually using your core mm. and you're actually mm. now in the correct position 
and good posture, yeah. to, you've taken that load off your spine. Yeah. And she's mm. gone, you've fixed yeah. me. And I go, oh, no, I haven't fixed you. You've <laughs> now understood right. what it's like to actually breathe and brace properly. And yeah. once you let go of what that looks like, i.e. your belly's popping out, mm. you can change a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it's so, and it's I- so powerful. Yeah, and our diaphragm is connected to our pelvic floor. So if we're mm-hmm. constantly jacked up here and breathing from here up, we're going to yeah. run into things like overactive pelvic floor, which then can lead to constipation, which then mm-hmm. can lead to painful intercourse. And so a lot of these things, people think it's their gut health, but actually it's their breathing mechanics oh. or it's their mm-hmm. yeah lack of um, you know core control or what have you. So. Yeah, it's yeah. I know we've got a bit off topic here, but <laughs> it's have, interesting. Yeah. So, so Faith, we start to bring this all back with some with some takeaways, and I'd like you to sort of be the the salesperson for for optimizing and tracking your cycle. Like, what can some females expect, and also what can their partners expect once a female really starts to to optimize and and track their cycle and understand where they're at and work with it. If you track your cycle. And you get to your late luteal phase and you think, why the fuck am I fragile or crying out a drop of a hat or feeling really fatigued? You can be so much kinder to yourself because you check your app and you're like, oh, it's the late luteal phase and maybe I need to take my foot off the gas a little bit and maybe Mm. I need to pour, fill up my own cup and maybe I need to stop, you know, maybe I need to cancel that social event so I can just stay at home and chill and just, you know, do something for myself. Or maybe I need to voice to my partner, hey, I am actually feeling really sensitive at the moment. Can we X, Y, Z or what have you? Or can you X, Y, Z? I think like that for me was a massive, like it was a huge change to the way that I saw my cycle, but also communicated it with my my partner as well. Mm. And so that in itself could just decrease the mood swings, the, the, mm. um, the anxiousness. Yeah. So yeah. much. So. And then from the, the male's point of view and perspective, like if we start to understand about the cycle and tracking mm. it, then we can then show up for our partners. I, I mean, I know I've started showing up for my wife a hell of a lot more understanding her cycle because mm. I know kind of where she's at and I'm mm. like, well, okay, cool. What is it that you need from me right now and how can I mm. help you through this? You know, I'm not mm. like holding a hand and saying, I'll do everything for you because that's not yeah. what it's all about. But yeah. if we understand that on a just a little bit of a deeper level, then we can yeah. start to show up in ways that we need to and show that support. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like when I'm due for my period and I have something where I need to present or I'm doing an in-person presentation or I'm doing something that requires a lot of my energy, you bet I'm not doing anything for the rest of that day. I'm doing things that fill my cup up. I'm going down to the beach. I'm doing some grounding. I'm making sure that I'm fueling my body so that when I do go to present or when I do go to that social event, I can give a little bit more. But I feel like a lot of women are living like the same from all the way into their cycle. And it's that like, like that hyper masculinity, like doing all of the things. And so I always say like estrogen is the masculine and progesterone is the feminine. Mm. And when, and, and they, they, yes, they balance one another out. But in that first part of the cycle, we can do a lot more. 
But in that second part of the cycle, we need to be a little bit, a little more. Mm. So, and I could imagine how how frustrating it would be being a female when you're when you're wanting your body to respond in a certain way, or you're wanting your mind or your energy levels to respond in a certain way, but you don't understand your cycle. You're like, what's going on? Yes. But when you empower yourself and you're like, okay, I know that I can push you. I know I need to pull back here. Then, yeah. then you're really in flow and and you're working yeah. with your body rather than against it. A hundred percent. And I'm laughing because. How many women have you come in contact with who's like, it's a couple of days out from their period and they're like, oh my God, I've, I'm so fat, I'm fluffy, like I'm holding all mm. of this water and then they get their period and it's like they're a different person. Mm. And it's like when you know where you're at in your cycle and the impact that these hormones can have with things like water retention, you can be mm. so much kinder to yourself. You can look at your app or wherever you log your cycle and be like, oh, this is where I'm at in my cycle. This is why I'm feeling like I'm feeling. And I think Sorry. it comes back to, which we're going to finish with the three key takeaways. I think one takeaway that that is really important that you spoke about before is what is normal um, mm. or what, what is something that a healthy cycle does look like. That, like it's never going to be perfect. There are going to be, there is going to be some cramping. There's going to be bleeding. Obviously mm. there is going to be some changes in mood, but understanding that that's all part of it is mm-hmm. really going to encourage you to be like, okay, like it doesn't have to be perfect all the time. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Like, and also like putting things in place that can help if you are someone that has severe mood swings leading up to your period, or what can you do to decrease those mood swings potentially? And for some people, it's got nothing to do with food, nutrition, and it's nutrition or supplements. It's got everything to do with energy. Like Mm. maybe they just need to pull back. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So coming back to the three key takeaways, understanding Mm -hmm. what a healthy cycle looks like, starting to track it. And can you just mention that app that we can start to track it on again? And we'll we'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. So Read Your Body is the app that I suggest getting. And then I just suggest most women go get a basal body temperature thermometer from the chemist. It's like $12. Yep. So I know there's some fancy stuff out there, but if, you know, cost is an issue, start with a basal body temperature thermometer, surgery pack, $12 from Chemist Warehouse or wherever you are in the world, some sort of chemist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, another takeaway could potentially be becoming more educated on a cycle, and you were mentioning some books before, and I'd love to hear about those. You know, on your journey, I'm, I'm sure you've – gone deep in the rabbit holes of, of studying and PubMed and all of that and in the Institute. But, you know, what are some really cool books that we could all start to read and to gain a bit more awareness around what it looks like? I think Lara Bryden, um, period repair manual is probably like the one that I suggest the most because she really does simplify things. Mm. And, um, I think, yeah, that's a good place to start. I always tell coaches to start there if they're trying to learn the menstrual cycle, but also gen pop people as well. Um, Yeah, it's a really good book Um, and it's it's just really easy to read as well and it's something that you can just refer back to. Like it's it's a Bible, so to speak, for the menstrual cycle. So I think that's a good place to start to get, you know, just to get curious as well, Mm -hmm. like really good, really good place to start. Yeah. And to debunk some myths around the cycle and around around female health. So 
how many days of the month or how many days of the cycle can, can a female fall pregnant, Faye? So because of the survival of sperm, and that's the only reason why the window is longer, it's like six days. Mm. Yeah. So we ovulate for, in the cycle. Yeah. Sorry? And that sits where in the cycle? So if it, this is where like tracking becomes important because it's not day 14 like everyone tells us that it is. <laughs> it just depends. Like it can be day 10 for some women. It can be day 16 for some women. So, um, yeah, it really comes down to the individual like mm-hmm. and how long your cycle is. It's not something that is just day 14 for everyone and it changes from month to month as well. Yep. Yeah. They're using those biomarkers like cervical mucus and then the increase. So basically what happens once you ovulate, you produce progesterone. Progesterone then elevates basal body temperature. And so you'll see an increase in basal body temperature, which is kind of your confirmation of ovulation. Mm. And in terms of the pill, is the pill balancing out hormones? Is the pill helping cure my acne? <laughs> no, it's a big fat no. Fat no. <laughs> You got any other yeah. ones that you want to get debunked? <sighs> debunked. Mm. No, I think that covers it all. But I guess supplements get thrown around in the, and I know you hate this word, Faye, so I'm going to say it, the holistic <laughs> health world. And I know that you absolutely yeah. hate that word. But the reality is we do live in that space and supplements get thrown around all the time, you know. Mm. And we... We do agree and we understand that supplements are so much better than the, the conventional lens mm. of, you know, going in and iron infusions and all that. But we have to understand that supplements, we need to use them when we find out what's going on underneath the hood, i.e. blood work. But what are some really key supplements? And we've already mentioned them in this podcast that women can start to take not only to look after their cycle, but just to look after their health. Yeah. I think safe ones for me to say without looking at blood work are things like magnesium. Yep. Mm-hmm. Zinc is another one yep. that's really important for our reproductive health. Omega-3s. So omega-3s are really um, beneficial. And my last one would be potentially a B vitamin. Mm, yep. Yeah. So they, and it's, it's like funny it. because on, on this podcast where what, seven episodes in and – they're the ones that we've recommended to, yeah. <laughs> to to everyone. We haven't we haven't actually spoken about any other supplements yet on this podcast, and you know we will. And there's a time and a place for it, but um, yeah, it, it's so nice to just continuously hear these supplements pop up. Like they are keys. You you really can't go wrong if you buy a really high quality magnesium zinc, something like cod liver oil. Um, I think Thorn that they make an amazing B complex. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know these are just the staples, and you know we speak about magnesium all the time like our soil is just so depleted in magnesium and we're so magnesium deficient magnesium Mm. has so many reactions in the body so yeah um we really really love you showing up and just being your most authentic self today and we just cannot thank you enough and i know i've learned a few things. I know Geordie's definitely learned a few things and, you know, it's such a fascinating space. And I think as a, as a man, you know, I know that I need to understand a little bit more Mm. about it. I think all men 
across the world. I think all humans just all underestimate humans. the fact like yeah. females literally create a human being. Yeah. Like you've got the We're tools to create a human being. How crazy is that? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I've openly admitted that females are much stronger than us men. Mm. Like if I was to go through a cycle, I reckon I'd crumble. Oh, if we played it once a month. Bro, <laughs> I wouldn't leave the house. I'd be like, get me out of here. I'm done, man. I'm done. I'm done. What about, what about pregnancy? Imagine, yeah, if, nah. imagine if you were pregnant, man. No. Nah. <laughs> Oof, nah. Who knows so, what's what's going to be achievable in you know yeah. the future? Well, like men can get babies. Mate, you know, with the way that things are going, you mm. just never know. But that's again, that's a, <laughs> it's a controversial subject, right there. <laughs> so, but um, with all jokes aside, Faith, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really, really appreciate it. And. If people wanted to reach out to you, Fade, like how can they start to work with you or even just to reach out, say hello and start to become a little bit more aware how they can start to look after themselves. And follow your really aesthetic reels now. Yeah, killing it on is real. <laughs> I can't take full credit for that. Shout out to Archie. But um, <laughs> Great man. I, um, I'm probably best contactable on uh, my Healthy Her account. So um, at healthy underscore healthy underscore her and I talk about all things menstrual cycle there and I actually have a program that is low cost it's $97 a month and you can learn all of this and more in the self-paced mm. program you even get a training mm. program um, and part awesome. of an epic community of women that are on the same path of trying to live in harmony with their hormones rather than living against them or shutting mm. them down and and I'm sure, like through that program, you're really empowering them. That it's it's something that once you learn it, like you get that for life, and then you get to teach yeah. that to your your kids and to all the other relationships you have with with females around you. Yep, definitely. Yeah. No. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Faye. We really, really, really thank appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be getting back to you for a part two episode with some more questions. Um, but to you. all our listeners. Thank you. That is our second guest. And if you have found this podcast interesting, which I'm sure a lot of you have, send it to someone that you think would also find it interesting Mm -hmm. or someone that would benefit from it. Ladies, send it to your man. Men, send it to your ladies back and forth. It's not just about the females that need to understand this. It's about us all. Mm -hmm. Um, And as always, leave us us a five-star review. Send us a message on Instagram. Mm. And Zach is just going to send us on our merry way with the famous words. And as always, peace and love. Peace and love. you got to say it, Faye. <laughs> yeah, peace say it, love. Faye. Thank you. Oh, yes. Yes. Peace and love. <laughs> <laughs>